in the name of Jesus, we're building the tower. When we baptize in the name of Jesus, we're building the tower. Every time you say that name and you speak it with adoration and love and thanksgiving, you're building the tower that is a safe place for you and your family. It becomes a protective hedge around us. And so I hide myself in the name of Jesus tonight. I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to add my words along with what has been said tonight, every speaker uh, so profoundly moving us. Brother Thomas, so articulate, so well delivered. I was I got a lot of notes out of what you preached that will be preached again out there. Spinoffs, amen, words that lit up my spirit of revelation, and I thank you for that. The authenticity uh, so needed with Brother Bunch uh, revealing to us the side that so many people never tell you. We only hear the victories and the great reports, and I get that, and primarily that's what we need to do. But it's nice once in a while when somebody just opens up and says, well, let me tell you another thing that happened one time. And that helps us keep it real and keep it right. And so profound, uh, I will always uh, remember that message. And Brother Murphy, uh, he kind of, um, some folks are remembered for what they said. Others are just remembered for what they did. (laughs) You'll be remembered for what you did. And I appreciated that and felt so humbled by that. And Sister Williams, dramatic, so dramatic. And uh, probably out of everything uh, said and done, um, that's one thing that impacted me so much. Watching and listening to Sister Williams minister with such drama and passion and force reminded me that's the way preaching's supposed to be dramatically delivered out of a heart that's on fire with God and has been with God. And my dear and precious friend, brother and sister Fletcher, I think, wouldn't it just be in order to show them some appreciation right here? Thank these wonderful, kind, precious, anointed people with such great spirits, such a beautiful attitude and spirit. Amen. Such an honor and privilege to be teamed up with him, be Here at this great, wonderful church, we'll be back here tomorrow enjoying church with all this wonderful music and all this great hospitality. Amen. Um, Isaiah chapter 59, I do want to just say I consider it an honor uh, to be here and a privilege to speak to you and to stand in this pulpit, bring the word of the Lord uh, to God's people. And I'm very grateful for all the kind hospitality, beautiful room, nice basket, hospitality basket. I was showing the pastors, I guess it was at lunch today, what us evangelists do have an evangelist chat group, group text, probably about 30 of us on there. And uh, we're always sharing pictures of our hospitality baskets with each other. Somebody today had an unusually big one. So... They were showing their pictures around, and uh, that's what evangelists do. Amen. Those baskets never go unnoticed. Sometimes we get caught up in the spirit and forget to say something, but trust me, they never go unnoticed. We walk in there, and it's the first thing you start digging into. Amen. I realize that most times this is just a 24-hour conference. 
And I realize most times you end on a shouting high. It's kind of our pattern, you know. Start out and dig in, and then on the last night or the last message, really lift it up. And uh, what the Lord's putting in my spirit, just slightly different from that, and I was questioning him, and reminded me of what's called the law of retraction. You know, the further you pull something back, the more force it has when you let it go. It seems like the Lord has been doing that in this conference, pulling us back. Because when the release comes, it's going to come with tremendous power and force. So let's add a little something to the release here tonight. What do you say? Isaiah 59 and 1. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. And well, actually, I'm just going to kind of go down through here. Uh, Let me read the first two verses. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Sins, your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And I'll save you the next series of verses because they outline spiritually deprived conditions, all manner of lying, perversion, iniquity, mischief, vanity, violence, destruction, It gets worse and worse and worse. So let's just skip down to verse 14. And here becomes the summary of the whole situation. Judgment is turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. You are getting the picture that none of this is the way it's supposed to be. Equity cannot enter. Truth faileth. Departeth from e- he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. You make yourself a target just to try to do right. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you just live your life and don't pay attention, but this is my life, and I'm watching the spirit world, and I've been feeling all these things. What in the world is going on? Where's judgment? Where's proper flow where is things working like they're supposed to work like I remember them working the next phrase the last phrase in the verse gives explanation how things had fallen into this condition and the Lord saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor no intercessor I want to speak to you tonight on recovering the ministry of the intercessor. We desperately need the ministry of the intercessors in our churches to make everything else function. So it's not a sad message, so don't get sad. But it's going to be a message that has the potential. There's enough people in this room right here that if we get to doing what I'm going to speak tonight, we turn our cities upside down turn this world around. Would you lift your voices? Let prayer go out across this place. Would you do that? Right. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. It's prayer time. Just a few minutes, just a few moments of prayer. Just a few moments. Just a few moments. Oh, in the name of Jesus.
Would you bring the bring the volume down just a little? We need we need voices of prayer all over this auditorium right now before I start. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Would you lift your voice to the Lord in prayer? Pray for yourself. Pray for your husband or wife standing next to you or the friend. Pray for the service. Pray for me. You should never let someone speak to you that you're not praying for. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your city. Pray for a family member. Pray for the message. Pray for the service. Pray. Oh, God, we need you tonight. We need the flowing power of the Holy Ghost. We need anointing that will destroy the yokes. We need the visitation of the Holy One of Israel. We need the angels of the Lord to be encamped around about us. We need the touch of the Master's hand. Lord, we know that you're a prayer-answering God, but you can't answer what's not prayed. You can't move where you're not asked. You can't flow where there is no open door. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you, O God, would move upon us in a miraculous way. Let every one of us respond to you, O God, fluidly. Respond to you openly. Let our voices be heard continually across this auditorium tonight. Lord, I pray that you will lift up our spirits with strength and passion and energy till, Lord, we would pray the prayers of faith. We would pray, Lord, the prayers of prophecy, speaking into our future, planning the heavenlies for the days that are coming down the road and up ahead. Let us speak into our future. Let us speak over our families. We're not victims tonight. We're not helpless and we're not hopeless. You can do anything, anything we can pray. If we can pray it, you can do it in the name of the Lord. Would you now just clap your hands and give glory. Let a word of praise, let a hallelujah. Let a hallelujah be in your heart. Give me a little more. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've told you some pretty uh, big aspects of my personal testimony in this meeting in preaching for 33 years, been privileged to travel around the world, see great crusades, great outpourings of the Holy Ghost. The most I've ever seen is 120,000 filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a single service in Ethiopia. Seen every miracle of the book of the Acts of the Apostles duplicated in some modern similar way, some way like it was then. I've been blessed of the Lord to travel around the world in different countries and cultures and places and all over America and see the mighty hand of God stretch forth in so many varieties of ways. I've been blessed to stand in pulpits like this one across the land and declare the wonderful works of God. And God's people have treated me and my wife and now my sons and their wives so kind and so gracious. But uh, I was exposed to this early on. I had a praying grandmother and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at seven years old at a rally in Baltimore, Maryland. Was not much in church after that for a long time and then was baptized at 12 years old in a, one of those metal horse troughs in the basement of a church up in Pennsylvania on a cold winter's night and then wasn't in church very much after that. Went to a couple of youth camps. I had exposure to this truth but was never really solid 
uh, for long lengths of time. And so in my late teen years, um, I was deep into drugs and drinking and alcohol and wild living and going to rock concerts. And I had long hair down to my shoulders and wore a bandana around my forehead and uh, went to very deep levels of worldliness. And the only reason that I stand before you here tonight is because somebody prayed for me. I have no um, lineage in the United Pentecostal Church, and uh, I'm not well-connected with anybody who was anybody. But uh, I had a little uncle, uh, Richard Glass. You'd have no reason to know him. Uh, He could pray three and four hours every day for year after year after year. He's getting older now and doesn't pray to that level. But I had a praying uncle that prayed for me continually. And uh, my mother, my mother prayed for me. My grandmother, who died when I was very, very young, she prayed for me, wrote in a little children's Bible many prophecies that are being fulfilled right now in my life. She prayed for me. Brother Cole, after I met him and got to traveling with him, would often say something that made me feel so awkward because I couldn't say it back. He said, Brother Kleindienst, I pray for you every single day. And I've had other people tell me that, that they pray for me every day or often. So I say all that to tell you that I only stand here before you tonight. I only have a ministry. I've only gone anywhere and done anything because of people who have prayed for me. My wife has been an intercessory prayer warrior since we got married. She was raised on a farm and raised very, very poor. And uh, when we got married, she um, would wake up when the sun come up. And uh, I was raised in the city, and I was used to staying up till the sun came up. And so we uh, had to get ourselves together. And uh, she would rise up early in the morning, and she has had a ministry of prayer for all of these days. Back in the month of February, she started a morning prayer group. She had two or three ladies that uh, she had a burden for, and she wanted to pray over them. So she got them on a conference call, got to praying with those couple of ladies. Those two or three became four or five, became 10 or 11, become 30, 35, I think she had on the prayer call yesterday morning. She's been praying from 6 to 7 with 30, 35 ladies, ministers' wives, pastors' wives, ladies in ministry since the month of February. They've logged up over some 4,500 hours of prayer, and we are seeing many miracles in our personal lives and ministry. Now listen to this. I've been in ministry 33 years, and we are going through a personal revolution right now in ministry because of that morning prayer that she is doing every single day. I am telling you that everything we say, everything we do, everything we are is all totally dependent upon the ministry of prayer. When I pastored in Lynchburg, we had a midweek Tuesday night prayer meeting. I led prayer in the microphone every Tuesday night for eight years. If I wasn't there to lead it, somebody else had a microphone and led prayer. Because when I first started having prayer meeting, nobody prayed. It was about that quiet. (laughs) And it was supposed to be prayer meeting. And so I decided I have to teach them how to pray, and it became the way that we prayed. Our midweek prayer meetings would have 100, 125, 150 people sometimes, and uh, as midweek prayer went, so went Sunday service. 
I could just about tell you what was coming on Sunday by discerning the flow on Tuesday night. We began to pray for uh, our community that businesses would come in. We prayed that the economy would lift up. Our city was going through a transition from the old economy to new. The factories were closing down and jobs were leaving town. And we got to pray in, in about a year or so after we got to pray and big corporations moved into our town. Glad trash bags, free to lay, uh, big cellular companies were coming in in the 90s and they came in. Jobs were everywhere. And we just saw God slow turn things around. I'm telling you, prayer can do anything God can do. Prayer can go anywhere God can go. And the only reason more is not happening that's happening is because we're not asking. We, we, we just got to lift up. You got to pray. My wife says it this way. You got to pray about everything. I mean, pray about everything. Don't do anything without praying. Don't make any decision. Don't go anywhere. Just pray about everything. When I Look to these verses in Isaiah, and I see all this mess going on. It's very similar to what you can read from David in Psalm 73 uh, and 1 through 3. David says, truly God is good to Israel, but even such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet are almost gone. My steps are well nigh slipped. Then he continues to outline his condition. I became envious of the foolish. I was noticing and paying attention to the prosperity of the wicked. So here's David. He's grieved. He's envious of sinners. Yeah, I think some of us have fallen into that situation. Envious of sinners, envious of the prosperity of the wicked. He is confessing. He is lamenting his own backsliding. He is lamenting his own negative attitude. He says, I know God's blessing people. I know God's with the church. I know other people are having great things. But as for me, it's just not working for me. Things aren't happening for me. You know, the Bible teaches us rejoice with those that rejoice. But I found out so many times somebody else testifies, man, God just gave us a new truck. And instead of being on our feet, we're thinking, man, I need a new truck. Somebody else gets a miracle, their child gets healed, and you're thinking, but what about my child? We're having trouble rejoicing with other people's miracles because as soon as they get blessed, we compare it to our condition. Now, the Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice because personally, I think blessings are like raindrops. You ever go outside and a raindrop hit your glasses or fall on your forehead? What's the first thing you do? A couple raindrops hit the windshield? Why? You know usually there's not just one. There's probably going to be more. Just one or two raindrops hit and you start looking up expecting the skies to open any minute. That's how we ought to get when somebody in the church gets blessed. Somebody just got healed. Chances are there's not going to be just one. Somebody just got blessed. It's not going to be just one. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh, it's getting ready to happen. I feel the rain. Somebody shout, yes. How? could this man after God's own heart find himself in such a condition? How can anyone find themselves in such a condition to become envious of sinners? Well, all you have to do to answer the dilemma and find the secret problem is step back from Psalm 73 and 1. Just go back to the last verse of the previous chapter. The last thing said before David says, but as for me, 
The Bible says in 72 and 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. When prayers end, blessings end. When prayers end, the miracles stop flowing. When we stop praying, this thing stops working. Now, I love you, and I love good music, and I love the beautiful, I've been admiring this beautiful backdrop here, and a lot of our churches are doing this, and I love this stuff, and I love the lighting, and I love all the things we're doing. But hear me, we are becoming masters at covering up for no move of God. Now, I'm not for dead space. I try to keep it moving and filling everything, too. But, you know, sometimes what we need more than we need anything else is we need the heavens to open up and the power of God to hit us until a spontaneous prayer and spontaneous praise breaks out across the house. I used to, when I first started evangelizing in the 80s, I very rarely finished a sermon because the method in those days, you just preached till the place blew up. You just preached and preached and preached and preached until finally people couldn't take it. They just ran to the altar, came to the altar, started praying. There was just a spontaneous move. There would come a point in the message when it just felt like, man, it's here, God's moving, and people just start flowing with it, come to the altar, and the preacher just go with it, and it was just on. Well, I can't do that much anymore because I'll still be waiting. It's like I'm done with the third sermon I came to preach, and folks still, I've given altar calls. I've had to give altar calls four and five times just to get somebody to come. We have lost our spontaneous flow. We have lost our moving with the Spirit. And I am convinced it's because we're just not praying like we used to pray. Back in the old church, they had intercessors. And we need intercessors. Because where there's no prayer, there's no power. Where there's no prayer, there's no miracles. Where there's no prayer, there's no favor. Where there's no prayer, there's no joy. Where there's no prayer, there's no peace. Where there's no prayer, there's no answers. I'm giving you some understanding tonight. If it's not working, this is why. When the prayers aren't going up, the promises go unfulfilled. The blessings go unclaimed. The deliverance never comes. Until we pray, we are simply blowing out candles and making a wish. Wishing on a falling star. Just wishing things would be better. Prayer is the action word of faith. Prayer is the incense of praise. Prayer is the unction that is behind and with the anointing. And without it, the most gifted orators among us attain only to sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Even gifts of the Spirit, if they are not bathed in the prayerfulness of God's people, it's prayer that makes everything authentic. It's prayer that brings the brush of angels' wings. It's prayer that breaks the heavy chains of addiction. It's prayer that breaks depression. It's prayer that overcomes fear. It's prayer that breaks anxiety. It's prayer that overcomes every evil work. It's prayer that pushes back every demonic spirit. It's prayer that opens up the heavens and lets the blessings of the Lord flow down every good and perfect gift is flowing down from above. It's prayer that daily loads me with benefits. It's prayer that is my daily bread. It's prayer that is the light to my feet and the lamp to my pathway. Sister, you said it today. Sister Williams, you live it. You breathe it. It's my bread. It's my light. It's my water. It's everything. And without it, everything else is just shallow waters. 
How long are we going to satisfy ourselves in the shallow waters around our ankles when the deep is out there calling to the deep? Yes, this is the conference about being called. Called to ministry. Called to preaching. Called to evangelism. Called to soul winning. Called to the music ministry. Called to children's ministry. Called to every kind of ministry in the church. But I promise you here tonight, there's a call going out in the spirit world for every single member of every single church, every single city in this land. And that's a call to prayer. We need a call to be intercessors. Someone who will lift their head toward heaven and will call on heaven to send something down. Lord, we need some help. We need some power. We need some anointing. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Come on, carry the atmosphere for a few minutes right here. Make a little noise. Clap your hands. Shout unto the Lord. Lift up your voice. We have to recover ourselves. May it never be said. May none of you ever have to look at me or my wife, especially me. I don't think it ever happened to her. And say the prayers of Doug Kleindens were ended. Let it never be said the prayers of Louisiana were ended. Never let it be said the prayers of your church were ended, the prayers of your ministry, the prayers of your family. An intercessor is one who mediates. An intercessor is one that goes in between, gets in between opposing forces and begins to plead the cause. I was a little frustrated a while back with some things I had seen going on in the spiritual world and the kingdom of God. Sometimes it looks like carnal people get blessed and, and people who are backsliding and ungodly get uh, good things happen in their life. And maybe I was falling into the pit David was in, getting envious of things I ought not have concerned myself with. And I was concerned how it was that people who are fleshly and carnal, sometimes full of pride, seem to be getting away with it, seemingly get endless mercies and endless graces. And God just keeps giving them chance after chance after chance. And so I asked my good friend, he's a deep prayer warrior, Brother Jonathan Haygood. We were talking on the phone. I said, How, how's this happening, Brother Haygood? Why are these things going on? He said, well, there could be many reasons, of course. But he said, one answer in some circumstances could be that because someone is praying for them. If that's true, if it's true even on some levels, in some circumstances, for some people, not that it's the answer every time, but if it's the answer sometimes, it sure answers how. Carnal, even ungodly people sometimes seem to get favorable opportunities and mercies from God. Could it be that when someone seems to re be having advantages and reaping opportunities it's because someone is praying for them and we are seeing the answer to prayer right before our eyes while we're looking at God it's not fair what you don't know is there's a praying mother or a praying father or sister or brother or neighbor or church member or maybe just somebody lost in the Holy Ghost that is praying for that person. And could it be that it's the prayers of a loved one 
holding back the judgment of God on somebody's life. We're seeing them thinking surely they should be judged. We see what they're saying. We hear what they're doing. We see their attitude. And surely we're thinking the fire of heaven ought to come down and consume them now. But it's not happening. And it looks like they're getting mercy. And they're not even asking for it. And it doesn't make sense. But could we be actually witnessing the exceeding, wonderful, powerful work of an intercessor right before our very eyes? When someone is being blessed and someone is being divinely protected, and someone is receiving favor, it could be a living witness of the power of prayer. Sometimes what seems to be unfair and looks like God is showing favoritism, it could simply be God answering somebody's prayer. There are advantages that you are able to release on people's lives when you pray for them. There are advantages that can be released into the church when there are people in the church praying for the church. We can release blessings on one another by praying one for the other. Our churches can grow if we're praying. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their lamb. Could it be that some place are praying and people, there are intercessors? Why is it that some some ministries just seem to have an advantage. Some ministries just come up from nowhere and seem to go forward. And you're wondering, well, who do they know? What conference did they go to? Who's pushing them? Maybe it's somebody you never even heard of. You don't even know what's behind them. But somewhere there's an unnamed, unknown intercessor who is calling their names in prayer. I'm just going to tell you, if you want to know how I got where I am, why is it old kindness over there gets to do that and gets to do the other thing? I'm going to just tell you the secret right here tonight. I've got people praying for me. My wife calls my name every day. She goes to the Lord. She asks God to cause you to like me and to favor me. She prays that God will open doors. She prays I get invited to preach all over the world. She prays that God will put it in people's hearts. She's not the only one praying for me. I've got a praying mother who prays for me all the time. I've got praying pastors and ministers that are praying for me. If you want to know the secret to it, it's just somebody's praying and God is answering their prayers. I am the wonderful beneficiary of people who have prayed for me. Empty altars, silent saints, vacant prayer rooms have far too often left us without a cloud in the sky while we're looking for latter rain. Heaven waits. Miracles are on hold. There's a traffic jam of every good and perfect work trying to descend down from above. And I just submit to you tonight, my brothers and sisters, that we're coming to the end of ourselves. This little trip has about run its course. We're running out of gimmicks. We're running out of substitutes. We're running out of cover-ups. We've exhausted our creativity. We're no longer entertained by all the things that used to entertain us. Our buildings don't impress us anymore. Our musicians have gotten so good that it's just hard for them to blow our minds anymore. There for a while, Pentecost was coming from the other side of the tracks. We had beautiful buildings we'd never had. We'd walk in and we'd ooh and ah. We don't do that anymore. We've got the biggest and the best everywhere. We, we had people that used to come up here and, you know, pray for me as I sing because they really had a hard time staying on key and they didn't, they're up there, you know, working their vocal cords before they got ready to belt it out. And you just really had to worship with them because you couldn't hardly take it. We're not there anymore. 
Our singers are so beautiful. Our musicians are playing like we've never had before. Look at this. Look at this. The old-time churches, man, they had an old piano and somebody with a box guitar. Now we've got the best of the best, but we're just not impressed anymore. We're not entertained anymore. We're running out of ways to ooh us and awe us and get our attention. And if you want to know what's the next big wave, what's the next big thing, I'm telling you it's prayer. Prayer's going to bring the power back. When we get to praying, God's going to come down. When we get to praying, the glory cloud's going to come. When we get to praying, the anointing's going to destroy the yoke when we get to praying the wonder's going to come back into our eyes our mouths are going to drop open we're going to say look what the Lord has done I've not been in a service like that I've not felt the anointing like that I've not felt the brush of angels wings I feel those chill bumps on the back of my neck tonight that comes from a praying people that comes from an anointing that only comes from God somebody shout yes So many of our great elders have gone on to be with the Lord. It's been profound how fastly the pioneers have dropped away over the last five, seven, eight, ten years. I was over in Alexandria preaching recently, and Sister Vesta there, was she 92 years old now? She's kind of like the, the last. She was actually before the generation that we're all talking about. The last of a notable generation. A notable group of elders that we all knew who they were. We all knew their names. Those that were out front of the whole movement. Seemed like they've all gone on to be with the Lord. And God has left us this matriarch. He has left us this final feeble standing voice of prayer and passion. And the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, I have left her to remain as a sign. You've received all from the elders you can receive. They've gone to their reward. The anointing and the batons have been passed. The mantles have fallen. The impartation has been given. The imprint has been left. You got it or you didn't. You've got to march on with what you have. But I have left you this matriarch so she would be a sign to my church that all that remains now is to pray. We've heard their words of wisdom. We have their burden. We have the examples of humility. We have their imprint on our lives. And he said, now, if you're going to get over this Jordan, if you're going to go into the season of revival and harvest I have, my church has got to become a praying church. You've got to become an 11th hour people. Prayer's got to be more than our worship service. Uh, Prayer's got to be more powerful than anything else that's happening. Uh, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Everybody say house of prayer. He told us clearly, this kind can come by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind. Oh, we can have church without praying, but not the kind of church that puts chill bumps on your back. We can sing without praying. Now, back in the old church, you didn't pray, you didn't play. That's just the way it was. But we, we, we can do that without praying. We, we've learned how to preach. We know how to put together our outlines. We can make our PowerPoints. We, can make, we don't have to pray to do all that. We can get all this done. We can have church and nobody ever notice if we don't pray. But if we have pray, we'll have church everybody notices. We won't shake our cities if we don't pray. We're going to win a few folks here and there. There's always somebody going to hunger for God. There's always somebody going to get saved whether you're praying for them or not. There's somebody out there tonight, they're asking God. They're pleading with God. God's going to lead them here whether we reach for them or not. There'll be a few. There'll be one or two here. But if we're going to reach our city, that kind of revival 
See, there's a, there's a level and a dimension, this apostolic flavor. Now, we can just become a denomination. We can just have our once-a-week church services, put our PowerPoints on the screen, sing our songs, preach our sermonettes to Christianettes, smoking cigarettes, and just go on our way. Or we can pray and have this kind of revival, the kind of revival that shakes hell, the kind of revival that reaches out and gets your prodigal, the kind of revival that shakes this city, the kind of revival that heaven notices and hell fears. What kind? do you want this kind the kind that's more than a speech the kind that's more than a song that when the song gets to play and hell gets to shaking the walls fall down the shout that brings victory the anointing that destroys the yoke I'm talking about the kind of anointing that puts devils on the run the kind of anointing that opens blind eyes the kind that opens deaf ears the kind that causes tumors to disappear the kind that delivers the drug addict the kind that brings us out of darkness into the marvelous light but this kind that kind only comes by somebody I'm trying to stay in my time tonight but young preachers ask me all the time where do you get your preaching voice and it's a, it's a fair question a young preacher wants to know how do you sound like a preacher in the pulpit? How can it be real and be right? Because they've seen others mock other preachers and it just don't come off quite right. They try to mimic and it doesn't come off. It doesn't sound real. They want to know how do I get a real, authentic, from God preaching voice. I said, oh, I can tell you exactly how you do that. You're going to preach like you pray. You're going to sound in the pulpit like you sound in your prayer room. If you learn how to get passionate in prayer, you'll have no trouble being passionate up here. You will preach like you pray. And let me say this. While we're living in a very highly charged political atmosphere and uh, everybody's got their opinions on everything and there is chaos and confusion going on everywhere. And just recently I got stirred up when the media is reporting all these witches going to come together and they're going to meet and they're going to cast hexes on uh, the Supreme Court guy, Kavanaugh. And they're putting hexes on Trump and all this kind of stuff. I said, well, it doesn't appear to be working. But they're doing it. And you got to admit one thing. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of confusion. And here's what's worrying me. They are taken to the streets. They were pounding on the doors of the Supreme Court like maniacs. They are crazy people in the streets screaming bloody murder because they don't agree with things that are happening in politics. And I'm wondering if any of us even care. Why is it that those who are protesting righteousness seem to be more passionate and more fired up than those of us who love righteousness? I know I've got you nervous. I have did it on purpose. Hallelujah. I'm not suggesting we take to the streets. I'm not suggesting you get picket signs and go march. We protest in a prayer room. If you want to make a difference, you get in a prayer room. You start walking back and forth. And you say, I plead the blood on the United States of America. God, give us leaders that will bless the church, that will open doors. I don't need them to be my pastor. I just need them to pass laws that will benefit us. God, I pray for this nation. I bind up every work of darkness. I take authority over every demonic and I rebuke every evil spirit. I speak revival in America. I speak anointing in my city. Come on. You can pray over your loved ones or you can let them be lost. Woo! 
They continued. This is the apostolic DNA. They continued steadfastly. Acts 2.42, if you want to put it up. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Check. We're doing that. And in fellowship. Check. We're doing that. Breaking of bread. Check, check, double check. And in prayers. If we're not praying, we're not apostolic. We're not praying, we're kidding ourselves. We're not praying, we're just, we're charlatans. We're hypocrites. We're just going through motions. We're pretending to be something. We're putting a sign out there that we came back up in here. We're going to put it on the menu. We've got to be able to bring it out of the kitchen. I mean, you just can't get up service after service after service and promise people everything and never produce. We can't promise signs, wonders, and miracles every service and not have any. We can't promise God's going to change your life and lives don't change. If we're going to put it on the menu, we got to be able to bring it hot out of the kitchen. Say, here you go, straight out of the prayer room. When I lay my hands on you, I've been in touch with him. When I touch you, anointing's going to flow through me. The fire of God's coming on you. I'm telling you, such as I have. Such as I have. Cornelius was praying when the angel showed up. Said he'd been praying and fasting when the angel showed up with help and direction. Peter was kept in prison. He intended to take his head, but prayer was made without ceasing. And a light shined. An angel appeared. Chains broke, and they went free. We can either keep losing or we can start praying. That's just what we're down to. We can either keep going home disappointed or we can start praying. You know what? Everywhere I go, because people know I tend to prophesy and give out words and do all kinds of stuff, and uh, that's, that's what people want. They want me to prophesy. They want you to do miracles and gifts and bring some wow factor, do some stuff. But, you know, prophecy, 99% of the gift of prophecy is confirmation. You know, come up here and start saying something. Well, one brother was talking about he received a word from the 15-year-old. No, that was you. 15-year-old girl prophesied to you, and then you went to church, and Sister Vani prophesied. When you give you the same words, pretty much, duh. Man of God, the way it used to work in the old church, man of God, come to the church, read the text. Pastor just read Wednesday night in Bible study. Preach a sermon. Pastor just preached Wednesday night. Two sermons, identical, in a row, back to back. God's talking. Confirmation. One confirms the other. I love you. I'm not trying to be unkind. I got prophetic gifts. I got the gift of prophecy. But sometimes I go into places. Can't find nothing to confirm. Nobody had private prayer. Nobody had a word from the Lord. They didn't have private devotion. They didn't bring in their heart a word God had spoke to them in prayer. They hadn't been visited by an angel. There's nothing to confirm. Y'all all right? Is it okay, Pastor? Trying to help us here tonight. But when you pray at home, you know why? You know why? When Peter showed up, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them. We love that. Holy Ghost fell during the song service. You don't have to wait for the preaching. Fine. Somebody better been in a prayer room. Holy Ghost just don't phone song service if somebody had been praying. The reason they got the Holy Ghost while Peter yet spake these words is because Cornelius and his house had been in prayer before Peter ever got there. They had already had a visitation of an angel. I promise you, if you come to church prayed up, if you had a visitation of an angel before you get here, when we come to church like that, 
this kind will take place. When my boys were small in, in school, and my wife's always been the early morning, so she'd get up and get them ready for school, and then she'd bring them by my bed. <laughs> and before they would go to school every morning, I'd reach out there and find their heads, get a hand on the first one, oh God. Keep him safe today from wrong, harm, sickness, and disease. I plead the blood of Jesus over this boy as he goes out into the public school system. God, let your favor be upon him. I'd reach over for the other head. I'd start praying in the name of Jesus and pleading the blood over them. Now, now, now I'm going to just tell you, both my sons, they went through some spells. They had some tough times. But when they went through some spells, mama's down there in the middle of the night putting, they'd wake up in the morning with grease spots on their forehead because mama been down there anointing them with oil while they slept. She's anointed their pillows. She anointed the blankets they slept under. She anointed the clothes they put on before they went to school. We drove by around their schools where they were going to go to school and prayed over them. Now you can leave it all up to chance if you want to. Just cross your fingers and hope for the best and send them out the door. But we decided uh, we're going to pray over them kids. Uh, They're going to have an advantage other kids don't have. Uh, They're going to get opportunities other kids don't get uh, because I'm going to pray the favor of God. Uh, I'm going to pray angels around them. And if some maniac comes walking in that school with a gun, that thing's going to misfire. That thing's not going to work because I've done prayed the prayer of faith Them boys started getting teenagers, and they got to looking at the girls. And when they got to looking at the girls, me and Mama went into a full-fledged panic. Panic attack hit us. Oh, dear God, they're going to marry some girl. She's going to come into this house. She's going to destroy our home. She's going to be wicked as Jezebel. Oh, God, we need to, we got to pray. And me and, my, and I'm going to tell you right now, I pray, but my wife, you don't want her praying. She believes in all this. Just, I mean, she's shutting stuff down, locking people up, casting them away. She don't play. Mama don't play. I try to be all, you know, uh, uh, What's the word? I'm discreet, and you know I try to be all nice and protocol. But Mama don't play. She be cursing and speaking curses on people and driving them out. And my oldest son, he went through a few of them. <laughs> Hallelujah! They weren't bad girls either. None of them. I mean, I, I thought they were all good, but but I'm just telling you. Mama said, "No, we need. It's got to be special. We need somebody's not gonna hurt our home. We need somebody that loves the ministry. I want somebody's gonna have a special heart toward God. Has a special. We prayed for their wives before they were their wives." Now they've married two wonderful girls. My wife calls them daughter in loves. Hallelujah! They can be glad Mama likes them because they'd be in danger if she didn't. It's a beautiful thing, but we didn't leave it up to chance. Now they're getting dogs. I ain't praying for the dogs. I said I'd never pray for a dog, but my little dog broke his leg, and I did have to pray for him, and God fixed it. But never say never. You don't ever know what you're going to do, crazy. But i tell you what we are doing. We're praying over them grandbabies, but they're not born yet. We don't have any grandbabies, but we're already praying. I pray for them every morning. Every morning I pray for my sons. I pray for their wives. I pray for the grandkids that ain't even born yet. You listen to me. If I die tomorrow, I've already prayed for the grandkids. Whether they ever see me or know me, they'll know my grandpa prayed for me before he ever died. There's oh, You can pray right now. You don't have to wait. Start praying. Don't leave all this up to chance. Don't leave it up to chance. Now, I'm going to push you over the edge here. I know I. How many of you have a loved one? Somebody that's lost. But you'd really like to see them get saved. My brother was like me. He had had early spiritual experiences. He's six years older than me. But he became very hardened. He went to the war in Iraq and went to Kosovo and several places. You couldn't talk to him about the Lord. 
He ruined Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas. He was obnoxious. You couldn't talk to him about nothing. He was so anti-everything. But every time I'd be in a church standing over there in them seats and they'd put names on the screen and pray for the people in their church, I'd call my brother's name in prayer. Week after week, year after year, 30 years, he wouldn't move. Couldn't get him to do nothing. Couldn't talk to him about nothing. I went up to preach a Pentecost Sunday revival up near where he lived in York, Pennsylvania. I invited the family to come out. His boy was getting ready. He had a boy now, 22 years old, getting ready to be deployed to Iraq. I said, bring him to church. We'll pray over him. I couldn't believe it. He said, the roof will fall in. I said, we'll build a new one. Just come. He came. I gave altar call. Everybody in the church came except him, his wife. Even his son and his daughter came to the altar. They didn't know nothing about God. Here's my brother. He knew this apostolic faith. He raised a daughter and a son know nothing about God. The daughter asked me, she said, you believe God's up in heaven? I said, yeah. She said, how come when you pray, you bow your head and look down? I said, oh, it's just a sign of reverence. But that's just how little, and it shouldn't have been that way. But that boy walked to the altar. He's getting ready to go to Iraq. I said, raise your hand, son. Let's pray. Put my hands on him. Got to praying with him. God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He didn't even know what he got. About six weeks later, the pastor called me and said, I thought you might like to know your brother and his wife were both in church today. They both prayed through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. About two years after that, my brother... So obnoxious, so rude, couldn't even talk to him, so mean. He's now dressing up like a clown and bringing kids to church on Sunday morning and handing out candy. Next thing I know, pastor's got him in a downtown daughter church they're trying to start. He's helping build that up. Just about a year and a half ago, he got elected as a pastor. He met the board, got his UPC license. He's now pastoring a United Pentecostal church. But I called his name for 30 years. Somebody's got to give somebody an advantage tonight. Do you love anybody enough to pray for them? All right, I don't know if you're ready for this. Sit down and buckle up. I'm going to tell you tonight, judgment can be withheld from people who deserve it through prayer. Oh, I'm getting ready to get worse. Judgment that's in process can be overturned by an intercessory prayer warrior. I'm going to prove it to you. Miriam decides she does not agree with Moses' choice of a wife. She don't like him marrying that Ethiopian woman. So she stirs up a bunch of church trouble over it. She stirs up controversy in the camp. She speaks against Moses. She's letting it all, all her displeasure be known. God's not happy. God decides to stop her. God gives her leprosy. Not to make her itch. God gave her leprosy to kill her. She is under the judgment of God. She is being judged by God for coming against the man of God. And she is going to die. Except for Numbers 12, 13. You can put that up there. Put it up there. Moses 12. Or Numbers 12, 13. Moses cried unto the Lord. Lord. Heal her now, I beg you, I beseech you, heal her now. And God heard his prayers. 
And God said, all right, let her stay outside the camp for seven days, just long enough for her to repent and get her heart right. And then the leprosy left her, and she did not die. Why? Because there was an intercessory prayer warrior somewhere that called her name before God and asked God for mercy. Moses interceded for the entire nation of Israel when God said, I'll wipe them all out and start over again. Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah, negotiating God all the way down to ten people. God said, I'll put up with all their sin. I'll deal with all their ugliness, all the the massive debauchery of that place. I'll deal with all of it for the sake of ten righteous because an intercessor negotiated him down. Nehemiah interceded for the whole Jewish nation because of their backsliding. And here's the one that absolutely blows my mind. I can't hardly wrap my brain around this. But Stephen intercedes for his executioners while they're killing him. They are throwing stones at him. They are murdering him. And while he is being murdered, he says, Oh God, lay not this sin to their charge. Don't hold them accountable for this. Release them from this. Don't judge them for this. Let them get away with this, oh God. He is dying and he's interceding for those that are murdering him. Oh, here's what gets me. Standing out there, part of the execution, holding the coat, was Saul. We may never had an Apostle Paul if we hadn't had an intercessor named Stephen. When Stephen found it in his heart to ask God not to hold him accountable. He birthed for the church an Apostle Paul. God was able to go past the judgment. God was able to not judge Paul for participating in that execution of Stephen because Stephen released God to call him to ministry. Stephen released God to put his hand on him. And Paul went out and shook all of Asia and gave us most of the New Testament church because an intercessor birthed him in their final moments. Who could we birth if we'd get to interceding? Who could we save if we'd just let them go? Jesus interceded for Simon Peter. said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Jesus interceded on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And back to Moses and Miriam. Why would a man of God pray that God wouldn't kill someone who is rising up in rebellion against them? Why would he pray for this woman when she is causing him nothing but trouble? Why would he pray for her when she has done nothing but be against him and run her mouth and run her tongue against him? I'll tell you why. Because she was his sister. She was family. We have got to get to loving our families enough to pray for them. Now, you hear me tonight. Some of us have family members that are involved in some very bad stuff. You might be ashamed of what they do. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's a backslider or they've never known God. Maybe they're involved in alternative lifestyles. Maybe they're involved in drugs or alcohol. Maybe you have a loved one that's in prison and there's a lot of things to be ashamed of. But I am giving you permission tonight. You hear this preacher. I'm telling you, keep loving them. You can love them. You don't have to agree with them to love them. And I'm telling you, love them. Love them no matter what they're doing. Just love them and pray for them. God, bring them out of darkness. God, bring them out of that prison. God, bring 
them out of that. Whatever you have to do, save them. If they got to stay in jail, save them in jail. However you have to do it. Do you love anybody enough to pray for them? Anybody? Is there anybody you care enough? I'm closing here. I've been preaching this around. And I've been getting various responses in different churches. And I've been shocked. And somebody I love tonight that was lost, I'd be praying for them every day. And there are those I'm praying for. I call their names to the Lord. But I've been preaching this message. I've been tugging on people's hearts. I've been trying to move the church to compassion. And I'll just be honest with you. It's been a struggle. I can't seem to move people. And I don't understand what's going on. And the Lord began to deal with me. He said, there's two signs of the end times that you've forgotten. And that's what you're pushing against. He said, number one, in the last days men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know what we're dealing with? Here we are, whole service, trying to get you to pray for other people. He said, oh, but you know, what about my needs? What about, I need a miracle. I need a blessing. I need God to touch me. I mean, I got problems. Oh, just, if I'd get to prophesying this is your season, this is your time, God's on your side, you're getting, God's going to raise you up to a new level, y'all be on your feet, clap. See, we become a bless me club. If I just get to speaking blessings over you and you sow it and God will grow it, plant the seed, he'll meet the need, shake off those heavy bands. God's getting ready to give somebody a new job. So, and, I, and I do all that, by the way. I do, and I believe it. I'm a real-life, thoroughbred prosperity preacher. And I know we don't believe in that much, but I do. I just believe in the blessings of the Lord. And to everything, there's a season. But the season for tonight is God is trying to figure out why. The Bible said he wondered that there's no intercessor. Where are the broken hearts of my people who have a burden for the lost house of Israel? Men are lovers of their own selves. The other sign of the end time is the love of many shall wax cold. I love you. I'm not trying to be mean or rude or cruel. Tomorrow, Pastor, I'll be back in faith mode, okay? I'll be prophesying all the blessings of the Lord all over everybody and because I, I believe it and that's what I do. But God is trying to call some intercessors. He needs some Jeremiah's. He's wondering where's the hot tears of a mother over a lost son or daughter. I was profoundly moved in a service a while back, something that was said. I'll share it with you in closing. The man was talking about the prodigal. The prodigal comes home. The father sees him a long way off. You know the story. The father goes running to the prodigal to catch him, love him, hug him, bring him home. Why was the father so urgent? Why did he feel so pressed to run so quickly to the son? It is because... The father knew. I've got to get to him before his brother does. Because if his brother gets to him first, he'll send him away. Look what you did to this family. Look what pain you caused. You wasted it. You squandered it. You don't deserve anything. Just get out of here. But that wasn't the way the father felt. And and the father was the one that was really, if you want to talk about who really got treated bad, that son came and asked for his inheritance. 
You know, inheritance is not supposed to transfer until the father dies. You don't get my stuff till I'm gone. When that boy came and said, I want it now, in this generation, when they try to push the elders out of the way to take over the pulpits, take over the churches, get control of the finance, they're saying what the prodigal said to his father. I wish you were dead. You're in my way. If you weren't here, the stuff would be mine. But if you just keep hanging on, I can't get to it. And it's a sad commentary for somebody that would wish the elder away just so you can get in position. The father had been done unjustly, but he knew I have to get to my boy before the brother does. And it so moves me that I beg God, I don't want to be that older brother. I don't ever want to be the kind of person that God has to protect people from. I better get to him before Brother Kleindienst does. I better get to him before that saint of God does. I better get to him before that one on the third row does. Because if they get to him first, they'll have no mercy. They'll have no love. I don't want God to have to protect people from us. I want to have the heart of an intercessor. I want to be someone that will stand in between that person and the forces of hell and say they deserve it, but you can't have them. you got to get through me to get to them, and I bind you in Jesus' name. I plead the blood over them. They're not praying. I'm praying. They're not asking. I'm asking. I'm interceding on their behalf. I am advocating for them. I will pray the prayer that will keep you from destroying them. And then if I got to turn and look toward heaven and say, God, I know they deserve judgment, but I plead with you. Would you cover them? Would you love them anyway? Does anybody have somebody you'd like to pray for here tonight? You want to pray for your city? In the old church, we used to have intercessors that prayed for pastors every day. They would be home through the day and they'd pray for they'd pray for pastors. They'd They'd pray for their church. They'd call their name. Don't ever let somebody preach for you you've not prayed for. Pray for every evangelist. Pray for every missionary. Pray for every person that ever prays over you. Pray for the musicians. Pray for the Sunday school teachers that are teaching your children. Pray for the ushers that are going to greet your prodigal when they come home. Pray for this church to be strong. Pray that this church will be powerful because one of these days your prodigal is going to walk in that back door back there and you're going to want there to be an anointing in this house that will break off those heavy bands we need a strong church we need a powerful ministry we need a flow of the Holy Ghost through this house that will cleanse every sinner from ungodliness come on out there in that city tonight there are loved ones, co-workers, friends they're never going to get saved if we don't pray if we don't call their names I think you should call some names they may not talk to you on the phone but you can call some names Call their name in prayer. Pray over this church. Call the name of your church. Call your pastor's name. Call your pastor's wife's name. Call your youth pastor's name and his wife. Come on. If you pray over this church, it'd be a great church. Pray for revival in the city. Pray for revival in the nation. Pray over the school where your kids go. Pray over the neighborhood you live in. Pray the name of the street you live on. Pray over your neighbors. Pray over your neighbors. Pray for your workplace. Your company ought to be blessed just because you're working there. 
You're bringing the blessings of God with you. You're bringing the anointing with you. Pray up and down these streets. When Zion travails, when Zion travails, the spirits make an intercession. Pray everything you know to pray. Say everything you know to say. Speak every name you can think of to call. Come on. Pray for every person you can think of. Quote every scripture you can think of. Pray everything you know how to pray. Pour your heart out. And when you don't know what else to pray, when you don't know what else to do, Slip over into those intercessory prayer tongues and start praying in the Holy Ghost and the Spirit will take over. When you've exhausted your love, when you've exhausted your burden, when you've exhausted your passion, you can pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. God loves them more than you do. God loves them. God loves your pastor. God loves your church. God loves your family. Slip over into the love of God. You'll pray. You'll pray with the deep moving of the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. What if this city is depending on our prayers? Your prodigal has an advantage. They have you. Your prodigal has an advantage. Your lost son, your lost daughter, your lost grandchildren, they have an advantage. They have you. God, I pray over everyone in this room right now. God, I pray over every lost son, lost daughter, lost grandchild. I pray every, over every lost niece and nephew, brother and sister, lost husband, lost wife, lost mom and dad. There are loved ones associated with everyone in this room. I pray for their lost loved ones. I pray for their homes. I pray for their families. I join with the burden. Right now, Lord, we pray for every lost person connected to everyone in this room, everyone in this house of prayer. Save them, Lord. Send an angel. Send somebody to witness to them. Send somebody they'll listen to.
if my people if my people I beg you God I plead with you Lord I know they have a stubborn will I know they're doing wickedness God protect them Lord protect their lives You can walk and pray. You can lay out on the floor. God leads you to somebody else here. You want to connect with their burden, feel free to do that. Help bear somebody else's burden. God, melt our hearts. Give us hearts of compassion, hearts of love. Give us a burden.
Solo Bring it down just for a few moments. Once you've prayed through your passion, you've prayed through your love, you've given it all that you have to give, that's really where true intercession is born. That's where you move into the Spirit, and the Spirit prays what you don't know to pray. You can pray in the love of God. You can pray for countries and nations and people you've never even met how could you love somebody you don't even know but God loves them and his love can flow through you his love can move through your heart you can feel such a burden and a weight and a love I want us to do that right here right now somehow slip out of your own ability I don't have any more love God I don't have any more passion I don't have any more to give I've prayed what I know to pray. I've said what I know to say. I've called the names I know to call. I've exhausted my human emotion. Now I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost. Let your love flow through me. Oh. is birthing intercession in you. Sister, go on. 
Let the Lord lead you. Woo! This is what makes prophecies come to pass. This is what makes the prayer of faith work. This is what brings the blessing when you sow your seed. This kind, this kind. God, I pray over every offering. I pray over every tither. I pray over those that give tithes and offerings and missions to the church. Bless their giving. Bless their seed faith offerings. Bless them, Lord, when they sow into the kingdom. God, let it come back to them pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Lord God, give them favor on their jobs. Give them opportunities to buy land, opportunities to get into homes, opportunities to make investments. Bless the work of their hands. I speak tonight. I speak against those that would try to defraud them, that would try to steal and devour. I rebuke the devourer tonight in the name of Jesus. I release money held back by legal issues. Lord, you become the advocate for your people. I release settlements in the name of Jesus. I release money tied up in the court system. I release money that should come to those that have claims, that have put in judgments in the name of the Lord. Money that is owed, that is not being paid. I pray, oh God, you will release it to your people tonight. I intercede on their behalf. Oh! Give favor on the job. Favor on the job. Favor in the educational system. Your family has an advantage. They have you.
Lord, make me a house. Here's what I feel. The atmosphere has shifted. I feel prophetic prayers. I feel prayers of faith. Let your faith rise. Get very bold. And as they go through some more singing here, while they're singing and playing, I want you to begin to speak prophecies and prayers and declare salvation and blessing and anointing and start speaking victories into existence. I, I feel the prayer of faith in this place. I feel boldness. I want you to pray some things and say some things. Speak it into your future. Speak your blessing. Speak anointing. Speak about them being filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized. Speak the blessings of God on your family, on your home, into your finance, into your career. Speak healing onto your body. Speak strength. Come on, speak prophetically. I feel prophetic praying.
Thank the Lord. Those of you that are praying, feel free to continue to pray. But as I preached to Grace Church last Sunday, and pardon me for referring to that, but God's promise in and of themselves really have no value. They really don't. That's my assessment. They need a receptacle. God needs to be able to take his promise and deposit them in people. And I believe we've communicated quite well to the Lord tonight that we are a worthy, trustworthy group of people. That God, you can put your promise in me and I will be here when they're fulfilled. Thank the Lord. So when God starts to draw and God starts to bring people in, we're going to be here and say, I remember the night when you put that promise in me, and now I've just seen it walk through the door. I've seen the miracle take place. I've seen the prodigal come home. So what do you do from here? We've been on top of the mountain, if you will. We've been in a glory cloud. The presence of God here tonight has been manifest, not just omnipresent, but manifest present. We've been on top of the mountain, so what do you do from here? You do the re-entry that Brother Kleindentz talked to us about last night. You re-enter into your life, but you don't leave your faith here. You don't leave your confidence here. You don't leave this prayer here. You take it with you. Thank the Lord. There's one thing I need to say, just be very quick. There's just something that occurs to me. I want to make sure proper, balanced delivery. I do not believe that you can make any person responsible for another person's salvation. You could pray for them 24 hours a day, and if they want to be lost, they can resist God all they want to. So do understand, I am not placing somebody else's salvation on your shoulders, but here's what I am saying. They have a will. They can resist God if they want to, but we could make it very difficult. We can give them advantages and opportunities and blessings to have mercy and grace that at least if they're going to be lost, let's, let's don't make it easy on them. So that's the, the balance of this. That I, don't, I had a man one time in our church prophesied to a lady and said, if you'll go on a seven-day fast and pray every single day for a year, God will save your husband. I called it out from the pulpit. I said, no, sir. You can't make another person's salvation based on what I do. If that man wants to resist, God allows him to. (laughs) Okay? So that's all I want to say. But you can send angels and witnesses and voices and protection, and you can bind up devils, and you you can push a lot of, you can push the demonic world around, and you can bring heaven down, and then at least it's only up to them. Does that make sense to you? You understand what I'm saying? So that's the power of prayer. You just keep sending, 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 sending until they just finally can't resist anymore in the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. Very good. Um, What I'm going to ask Grace Church to do uh, is when you leave here tonight, as you come back in the morning expecting. Come back in the morning expecting. Expecting. Thank the Lord. And... There's something that's been con- uh, conceived in us tonight. There's something that's been conceived in us tonight. And I want to see it born. I want to see us give birth to it. 
Thank the Lord as the will of God dictates. But I'm asking all of you, all of Grace Church, and that's mostly Grace Church here tonight. As, uh, and there's a whole bunch of them that wasn't here. So we have a surprise for them in morning. Oh, yes. Going to meet them at the door with the Holy Ghost. Thank the Lord. I want to see a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost tomorrow. How about you? Thank the Lord. So let's come in the morning expecting. What do you say? Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Let's give the Lord some appreciation and dismissal tonight. God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.